0: Yeah, sure. So sometimes it's tough, you know, you look at it, but you know, like, we're happy to be around still like, in, <laughs> like in a lot of ways, you know, like we're still making a dent and we're slowly gaining some traction. We're obviously educating some people, you know, yeah. like, cause it was around this time in 2020, so like August, 2020, we had our first big price bump. So, you know, we had. It was like we were like basically out of money in the end of 2019. Oh, wow. And then like we got enough of a price bump that we had like the three, there were just the three founders basically on minimal salaries for like, it was just us three until we we got our first employee in September. Well, he was an intern in September of (laughs) 2020. And then, you know, so like, and then we didn't hire, we sort of scaled to like, we hired like three employees over 20, the rest of 2020. And then we hired like seven more in 2021. So that, that like over the last year really is when we've actually had like manpower, (laughs) you could say. Mission DeFi with Brad Nickel, where we explore projects in decentralized finance that are innovating and driving our mission of financial freedom forward. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review Mission DeFi and spread the word by posting a tweet to the show. All opinions expressed by Brad Nickel or his guests are their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Black Knocks, Material Indicators, or any other affiliated organizations. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Brad Nickel or his guests as an inducement to make a particular investment, follow a particular strategy, or become involved with any project. A project being featured on the show is not an endorsement of that project in any way. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Now, here's Mission DeFi with
1: Brad Nickel. I am excited today to have Nicholas Fett or Nick Fett joining me, one of the founders of Teller and Teller is addressing something that we talk about quite a bit. And that is the fact that we have some significant dependencies in the DeFi space on Oracles and Teller is trying to tackle the Oracle market with a decentralized model that to me is pretty powerful. And I think it has a lot of potential. So I'm excited to have Nick on because I think this is one of those, one of those things I rave about along with centralized RPC and infrastructure that I think are important to address. So Nick, thanks so much for joining us. If you could, you know, introduce yourself, tell us a little about yourself, where you're from and how you got into this world and why you decided (laughs) to take on such a big problem.
0: Yeah. Thanks Brad. So I I'm Nick, I guess I'm up in the DC area. Actually I've been in crypto for a long time. I, I started out in kind of the bitcoin community early on i was started with, with the ron paul campaign back in the day Ah,
1: that's an off that's a common thread among bitcoiners that's yes
0: cool. started i and i then i taught myself how to code so i could day trade bitcoin nice um, nice this was this was pre kyc exchanges and everything and
1: so were and, you writing bots in python or what yep, is, yeah. that was <laughs> that
0: was it cool and did you make at, money yeah i mean you could make some money you yeah. know you would you, it was usually just limited by the liquidity there wasn't a whole lot of liquidity so you know you could make 50 to 100 bucks a day sure but then expanding it too much there wasn't a whole lot there at the time so yeah, yeah. but you i would have done way better just if i bought a shit ton of bitcoin and worked at mcdonald's it. yeah <laughs> you, you know but it was like a good learning experience you know like it's like you made 50 bucks a day but you sat at your computer all day so was it really worth it maybe not Tom. did you
1: consider yourself a technical person before you
0: taught yourself to code a little like, bit. So like, I I'm actually, I'm an economist by training. So oh, nice. I have. Yeah. So my co-founder and I, we met in our masters in economics and, right. and then we were working actually at the Bureau of Labor Statistics together. Wow. So we did employment unemployment numbers. Wow.
1: Business. Wow.
0: Yeah. Well, that would um, drive you to Bitcoin. So like, well, like, yeah, we were doing like this. We were doing like the seasonal adjustments on some of these numbers and stuff like that. So yeah, it was good. And then I actually left there in, in early 2015. I went over to the CFTC. Wow. So I worked on oh, the regulatory side. And that was in 2015. They started the blockchain working group there. So, you know, all the regulators were getting into crypto. And the CFTC was technically in charge of Bitcoin because it was a commodity and they were asking around who knew anything about Bitcoin. And I was like, the only guy <laughs> I was like, I guess I do. That's awesome. And so I got on, you know, I was helping work with the blockchain working group. And then you got to come, all the banks would come and present to the regulators. You know, you had like R3, if you remember them, and they were doing all the big blockchain consortiums, JP Morgan, and I forget even a lot of what the, these ones were. But anyway, they were all talking about how they're going to put stocks and derivatives on a blockchain and you know this was going to be that they were going to own the blockchain and then it was going to work
1: that's fascinating man that's crazy you were at the, involved in that at that early stage
0: yeah it was super cool you know there, there were some yeah it, it was a wild time because you saw like sort of the regulator the regulators even back then trying to understand it and you know it was super super new then you know people had very little idea what of what was going on but just like how they sort of approached it, and it, it, it gave me some good insight. And anyway, I wasn't there for too long. I left in two thousand seventeen. I decided I was like, I you can actually do derivatives in a decentralized way. So let's. Nice. So so I left in two thousand seventeen because I, I had made some money off of ETH and decided that would be enough so that I could leave and start my own startup. And then I got an Ethereum Foundation grant. So that was oh nice so cool.
1: Just yeah, do so they what? Were.
0: So they, I was gonna. I was gonna do derivatives on a side chain. Wow. So these were like long and short tokens, we I was calling them back then, you know, and this was novel for 2017. Sure. Uh, and so I was gonna put them on a side chain and I ended up there's like a research paper on why like derivatives on a side chain might be a bad idea. So anyway, Wait, somebody
1: else's research paper or no, you're... my I ended up a research paper <laughs>
0: on it. But then I at the time I brought on my co-founder Brenda, and then six months later I brought on our other co-founder, Mike they nice. were helpful with the derivatives thing and basically if you know what the derivative contract you know futures or options contracts so you're betting on the price of something so you lock some ether into a smart contract and say so you're betting on the price of bitcoin the problem you hit obviously is the oracle problem who gets to say what the price of bitcoin is in the smart contract sure and nobody had an answer for it so in in 2017 and then like there there weren't really any oracles so the oracle at the time you had like Augur, which was calling itself an oracle oracle Augur was a prediction market and then you had oracle eyes i don't know if you remember them no Uh -uh. it was basically thomas bertani he was he's a guy he who lived in london he just like ran a server and you paid him a quarter and he would return your value to your smart contract so you would put the whole api string in your smart contract and then it would
1: that's amazing
0: emit an event in his smart contract and he would throw it in there and that was he was the oracle for like a lot of DeFi back then.
1: That's hilarious. <laughs> and was he pulling it from mount Gox or Binance or something at the time?
0: Yeah. This is a, well, whatever it was, 2017. Yeah. Yeah. He would Oh, okay. Oh, that's
1: cool. Um, oh, that's
0: cool. It, it was a cool service. Obviously, there's problems with A. What if the API goes down or changes? But, you know, and then he got out of it a little later. But yeah, that that was like what people were using that's in interesting. Their smart contracts. That's and crazy. This was like early DeFi. And we were like, okay, how come? Ca- you know before we're actually going to be able to make you know derivatives infrastructure and at the time like some people were starting to get into derivatives so in the 2018 time period you saw like a lot of people raising money to do derivatives and right so we're like let's pivot from doing derivatives into being an oracle so and you I started kind of, this in 2018 2019 technically right. so like early, okay. early 2018 we had kind of come up we had realized we needed an oracle and then we had, well, the derivative startup had run out of money several times. So we couldn't really, we never raised. So right. uh, it was just, we were trying to find something as far as where we could go and where we could add the Oracle. Seems like a good idea.
1: So you weren't approaching this from the perspective that I actually outlined at the beginning of, hey, there's a problem with the existing Oracles. You were actually saying, hey, we want to build an Oracle system because the market needed it. At that time, yeah, I mean, and, we, needed and developers it. we
0: needed it. Yeah, we needed it for ourselves. Or so like, we somebody needs to do this thing, you know. Like that was the, there really just weren't any good oracles out there, and we're like, you know, let's like we. I have my grips with Chainlink, you know, who was around then, but Chainlink wasn't even live then. So right, it was just we kind of came at it as let's build something that the market needs.
1: That's a really complex problem to, to solve coming in because you guys are kind of coming at that fresh, right? So the con- the concepts around this are, you know, what does that look like? How do you build it? Was it for you at the time something where you guys wanted it to be decentralized at the very beginning? Or was it just, hey, how do we solve this Oracle problem?
0: You know, no, I mean, the gate? for me, it was always, it had to be decentralized, you know, like we, cool. you know, for building any of this stuff like you're only as like decentralized as your least decentralized points so you have to really remove a lot of this stuff like it, it never made sense like building some web 2 model on top of it if you want to build a decentralized financial derivative you can't have a centralized oracle like it just of doesn't course. Make any sense right um, well it, you say of course but like a lot of people like, but we like, still depend
1: choice. on yeah. centralized pieces right yeah
0: i mean well, for sure and that's like you know but i was like you no, know, like let's build something that's actually decentralized let's how can we do this right and you know like i'd rather build something the market rejects than try and build some <laughs> I love awful it. centralized I love model good
1: that's awesome all right so you guys had the missionary approach not the mercenary approach of hey we really want to build something long-lasting decentralized that fits the ethos of the whole network right so completely so, so At that point, did you guys go out to raise money for this? Or did you start building on it? Kind of what was your approach to getting going? So we actually, we
0: got into Binance labs. We had a connection um, who, yeah, we applied and we got in and it was like an eight week program and you know, they gave us $250,000. That was awesome. That was great. You know, you guys can eat. Yeah, it was like a year of payroll for the three of us. It's like, because like, like we have families, we're, we're like slightly older. So it was like, we can afford things. And then, and so, and then after, so we finished by Binance Labs and then we're like, uh, we had this, it ended in like May and then you have the whole summer, you're supposed to raise millions of dollars. and We didn't do that. It's it just, <laughs> we tried, we just were, you know, we pitched every VC in San Francisco and they're like, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, so, that was early. That was very early yeah. for them. Well, I mean, even then it was, so this was 2019 and it was post ICO, but it was still, everyone was on the token craze, you know, kind of like it is now. Like you guys are doing a token, what exchange are you launching on? What valuation can I get in? What's the lockup? Those were the, you know, those are the They didn't even care what you were actually building. It was just how much am I going to make dumping this in three months? Yeah, well, and especially, you know, you're in the bear market, so it's, this was yeah. pre-DeFi, so there it's not like there were revenue generating products at the time. Like, you're not going to do anything like that. Right. Um, it's just, how am I going to flip your token? And, and that was the model that they came at. and But it worked out for us, so we launched our token in August of 2019, so we had built the whole thing. And we launched nice. the first version in 2019, and, and we launched it, so I can probably get into how Teller works a little bit here, but, you know. We, sure, that's fine yeah so so the way teller works like just from a real simple overview level is some basically people can come and stake as reporters so you would take right now what's about two thousand dollars worth of our token and you lock it into our smart contract and now you are staked as a reporter then somebody else can come along and they'll say you know let's say brad you you can come and say hey i want the price of bitcoin in my put on chain so you would put what's called a tip you would say hey i'll i'll pay five dollars for instance to whoever throws the price of bitcoin on chain all of those staked reporters then will race as fast as they can to throw the price of Bitcoin on chain to fulfill that request and get your five dollars. Now everyone can see that information on chain. So they, they look sure. at the piece of data that was put on chain. and if it's good, you just use it once you know whenever you feel comfortable using it. But if it's bad, everyone would dispute it. So you would right. submit a, you would submit a small fee to say, hey, he lied about it and then it would get pulled off chain. It gets pulled off chain and put into a governance contract where there's a vote. It's a two day long vote between token holders, the reporters and the users all have a split say. And we determine whether the disputer gets your entire stake. So he makes a bunch of money because you lied or you get his dispute fee. The reporter gets the guy's dispute fee because he was just trying to be a yeah. to you for some reason. Got it, uh,
1: so great incentives align. People are incentivized to make sure people are staying honest. Reporters are incentivized to make sure that what they report is the right information. And then those that need information are feeling more confident about it. So that system is, sounds awesome. In terms of things like, does this also work? Are these typically one-off data requests? Or does this also work for an ongoing, like real-time, I need the latest, you know, inflation numbers or I need what whatever it might be. Is is this something that can be done as well where people are just constantly pulling data and information like
0: prices or whatever? So it's not constant. Like we we do price feeds similar to like chain link, you know, where you put things on every hour or so. Right. You just have to realize like somebody has to pay to put that information on chain because there's gas costs. So you know like especially on mainnet it it can be 10, 20 dollars to put information on chain. So you can't put it on chain every block like you would be broke yeah exactly um, so and nobody would pay that much for it exactly so usually you only want to put it on you know every few hours to make sure that the data stays up to date or something like that
1: and okay. that's so- what you see so, the data, really, for the oracles here is related to things that might not necessarily be frequent price changes, but are more related to research data or other kinds of information and data that people need for a given use. But it's not something they
0: need every twelve seconds, yeah. but I mean, people still use teller for price data. So okay, yeah, very cool. You can definitely use it for price data as well. You just have to structure your contracts in such a way that you don't need it to be the most up-to- date things, right. you know, and but this was a problem. Knowing this, you know, doing anything really fast on a blockchain is usually a bad idea in general. Sure. You know, but so for like a one price example, like Ampleforth uses us, you know, they just need a price update once a day for the rebase. It makes a lot of sense. You can use Teller. (laughs) You're not really racing. But the problem with like if you need it every block or like you're trying to catch like really fast price movements would be, you know, A, that there's always going to be a lag from real world. On chain, sure, and sure. the miners, the miners can sort of control that in a lot of ways too. And I know now we have stakers or whatever, but you can, you can like, not allow certain price updates for a few blocks, and that's like right problem which you could so, benefit from. Yeah, so you, absolutely you want to build systems that are resilient to that.
1: What are some of the use cases of how the data on Tellers being used today? I heard you mention Liquidity on your dev call, so I'm a big fan of Liquidity. So how are they making use of? Teller so
0: they use us in chain link, actually. So they, okay. it's for the eth us dollar price feeds. So they need to collateralize their system, make sure that they have enough collateral in ETH for all the LUSD and they use the chain link price and then they check it against the teller price. If chain link goes down, they're using teller that kind of thing. Make sure that basically they make sure we're both within the same range to kind of fact check the whole thing. So No,
1: that's cool. That's great. Are there other ways that you found interesting that people are utilizing Teller today or kind of, well, you know what, let's backtrack. So you guys launched when the first version?
0: August, 2019.
1: Okay. Very cool. And then since then, kind of, what have you guys been doing? Are you constantly updating how, to, what's been happening with the project since that time?
0: Yeah. So, well, I mean, first when we launched, we, we actually were a proof of work protocol, so oh, wow, it worked similar to how it does now with staking and everything. But in, in addition to the stake, you also had to submit a proof of work piece. Wow. Uh, wow. And this was something we got rid of a year later, but it was super, it was great for sort of the initial token distribution. So we started with a zero supply and that's kind of how we have an inflationary reward. So we just, every, we call them time-based rewards, but basically the contract just emits 4,000 tokens every month and it gets paid out to, you know whoever submits a piece of data so like it's basically sort of like a block reward on our system and early on like right when we launched like i was the like it was open and like we couldn't give these things away you know (laughs) (laughs) like this was in 2019 gas was even cheap. But people you know like i would be like hey if you run a reporter full-time for us like i'll give you two thousand tokens i'll give you thousands of tokens to stake and they're like yeah but i have to pay like 20 dollars in gas a month i'm like you're getting thousands of tokens And they're like, but it's worthless. So no, thanks. Oh, wow. That's brutal. Yeah. It was super rough. But then we got like a little community of some speculators and early proof of work people actually came into our community and they started, it kind of took off. Like we had like little OTC zero X exchanges and then we got listed on on IDEX. So we, we were only on decentralized exchanges for the first like six, seven months. Wow. And it, it really, yeah, it built a good community.
1: That's cool because you guys really had the kind of cart and horse problem, right? You didn't have enough yet going on it. And so people didn't want to invest the time and effort to participate because the value of the token yet didn't yet reflect, uh, there there wasn't a lot of value yet, but you had to have that like core group of folks who said, you know what, let's give this a shot anyway. Did you find that people just found you or did you guys actively like go out and try to engage with people that you thought might be interested in playing. I mean, we
0: were going out and actively engaging like around this time, it was, you know, you, we have always had like the hustling business mentality just because we've had no nice. money. So, <laughs> so you, you know, you're doing like every single Telegram AMA you can possibly sign up for. Sure, you're, you're going to whatever conference you can cheaply just to shake hands with people and try and get them to either use your product. And, you know, from the beginning, we had always, we wanted, we had the marketing strategy of like well, let's never do a partnership announcement or anything wow like really we're, we're like well it was just so cringy at the time you know you yeah. remember like everyone would just do like meet tons of meaningless partnership announcements and, um, oh no those that the, the was, don't
1: aren't, aren't real yeah absolutely
0: but that was the whole space back then you know so it was yeah, like yeah. We, we wanted to stay away from and anything cool. to, like trying to pump the price or it's like let, let's try and get users try and just be honest about what we're building and see if we can do that and ju- just sort of spread the word about how to use oracles properly and then it should come to us. So that was That's kind of the strategy. Awesome. Yeah. Do you um, announce
1: partnerships today?
0: If there's or like, new the users? Help, usually they do whoever does, but you know, we try and just be as neutral as possible. Cause you know, we've had a lot of problems over the years. Like a lot of people would use us who would be forks of other projects. <laughs> so like, like even now, like liquidy will get a fork and they'll start using teller or something and do you want to announce a partnership on it? Probably yeah, not. It's right, probably right, a rug. Right, um, <laughs> right. Yeah. That's ugly. You know, And, so and like, you don't
1: have time to do due diligence on every project that's using it. Right. So.
0: Yeah. Well, you want to stay away from that. So, yeah. Cause early on, I mean, some people would come and you're just like, these are basic scams. Like, and they're trying to get our community to invest in them and you're excited. People are using you, but you know, we try and stay out of it. Yeah. That makes sense.
1: Well, look, I mean, I, obviously I have a huge amount of respect for liquidity. So I think that's obviously a high profile client slash partner. You can, you can certainly talk about, but I get it. I think the approach that you've taken is, um, you know, kind of very professional fits the ethos of decentralization and Hey, we just want to be this provider and do the work and help people succeed at their project because you're, your infrastructure now. Right. So I see it. I think that's a, that was a smart judgment to make. makes a lot of sense.
0: Well, I mean, ultimately, like if you look at like what's the goal of where we want to be, you see, like like an Ethereum, like I think nobody partners with Ethereum. You just you go use it. You just go use it. You use thing. it, right? Yeah, like you don't. Ethereum doesn't care, right? Like, exactly. You know what, Like,
1: where do you guys want it to go? I mean, where do you want Teller to end up being?
0: I mean, I, I think that would like, be like ideal for me. You know, like you get it to the point where it's well documented, it works, people can come, stake money, tip, and get their data, and then. That's it, that's like, that's, it, doesn't yeah, to, it doesn't have, it doesn't, it does its go, job. It does its job. People can use it. It's completely censorship resistant and it works. Awesome. That would be like where I would love to get it. And then, you know, and I think we're really close and then it just, you can work on deploying it on multiple different networks. You can, and then just, you focus on building cool things with it. You know, that was like, we built it. And then it comes in like, okay, well, if you have a actually censorship, these, de- Resist an Oracle, what can you do with it next? You know, I, like, you know, and then that sort of gets into like why I'm in the crypto space or something like that. Like, I'm here to actually see useful things built and, you know, well, let's build them.
1: Do you guys find that part of your outreach is to, I mean, are you spending a lot of time in training and educating and helping developers understand not only how Teller works, but, you know, oracles in general and that kind of thing? Is
0: that a lot of what you guys focus on? For sure. You know, a lot of times people will come with their project or something like that. And, and they'll be and the, doing things like we need the price every block. And you're like, okay, don't know, <laughs> don't know if you can do this. Don't know if you would ever want to do this. Um, right? Do you, you know, you know so, what that'll cost? Or, yeah, or same with you know, they're on like, they want to use Teller as a bridge over to Polygon or something like that. And they'll want it really fast. They're like, listen, like, chains aren't final, like, and you have to go explain that to them. And yeah, and it, you sort of have to be a Debbie downer sometimes just to <laughs> say like, no, this is not the best of ideas, but yeah, you know, that's usually a lot of what we, what we have to do, trying to just teach people the best practices for oracles, you know, like, even just the idea, like, you know, teller, we put that on chain, but you actually don't want to use it right away. You want to check it for sure. It's legit, first. right. Make sure it's legit. And that, that's like, you know, that that's one of the bad practices we see with like other oracles like whether it's a chain link or a uniswap people will just assume they're always correct and right. it's like well so now if there's ever any hiccup you're screwed yeah um, and you so might have like a chain just, reaction of transactions
1: that have depended on that data now that you've completely screwed up
0: yeah yeah just teaching people like hey let's slow these projects down you know and yeah so, some, sometimes it's not the best for ux but it's definitely That's a lot of what we do and then that, is, and then we've gotten it done, you know, like we, we just finished up sponsoring the ETH online hackathon nice. Um, where we had, we had, yeah, we had lots of hackers, like 50 hackers come through and built on Teller and it, it was really good. You know, they give you, they build some cool projects and then they also help hone your documentation a little farther. You find out where they get stuck. And,
1: yeah, that makes sense, especially under a time crunch of a hackathon. That's really cool because people have to be able to come in and use it immediately. That makes a ton. Not only is it is a great PR for you guys, but it's also a great way to get developers using it. But it's also a great way to
0: get good feedback on the product. That's excellent. I love that. Yeah, um, yeah, we try and do that a lot. So it, it's been great.
1: That's cool. So when we were talking kind of the history, you were talking about the fact you had this proof of work piece, you guys removed it a year later. So I guess we're about in 2020. I don't want to sound rude, but in terms of kind of, and I'm not trying to pick a fight between you and Chainlink, but I'm trying to figure out what it's been like building the way you guys had with the ethos that you've had all this time to kind of see Chainlink become the Oracle brand in the space, right? And has that ever kind of, have you ever felt like, oh God, if we just compromise, we'll you know, we can be that and be doing that. Or has that been really
0: difficult for you? I guess is what I'm getting at. And yeah. I don't mean that as a gotcha. I just mean that as no, it's cool. A, that's gotta um, be
1: that's got to be difficult.
0: Yeah, sure. So sometimes it's tough, you know, you look at it, but you know, like, we're happy to be around still like, in, <laughs> like, in a lot of ways, you know, like, we're still making a dent, and we're slowly gaining some traction, we're obviously educating some people, you know, because yeah. like, it was around this time in 2020. So like, August 2020, we had our first big price bump. So you know, we had It was like we were like basically out of money in the end of 2019. Oh, wow. And then like we got enough of a price bump that we had like the three, there were just the three founders basically on minimal salaries for like, it was just us three until we we got our first employee in September. Well, he was an intern in September of (laughs) 2020. And then, you know, so like, and then we didn't hire, we sort of scaled to like, we hired like three employees over 20, the rest of 2020. And then we hired like seven more in 2021. So that, that like over the last year really is when we've actually had like manpower, you could say.
1: You could actually grow it more.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's been really good to, you know, see it sort of scale and everything like that. So
1: it's interesting because look, I mean, you know, Chainlink's been a hype machine and that's a different approach or ethos in the space and there are all kinds of other issues that we could talk about but i'm not i didn't bring you on here to talk badly about Chainlink. but here's the interesting thing is often when you're building an infrastructure play or, or piece in in a network like this the the longer slower growth pattern is actually potentially the bigger success in the long run right so as you were kind of talking through that with me i thought yeah you know what that makes it really makes a shit ton of sense to have something that is important as this to the entire space and wanting it to be decentralized, not rushing it and not overhyping it, but to slowly build if you've got the patience for it and you can feed your family, you know, that's a really it's probably the smartest strategy possible with building something like this.
0: Yeah. Well and Chainlink in a lot of ways. So you, you sort of back yourselves into other problems. If you don't build it decentralized from the start, you know, they have the problem of, you know, I know they're saying they're trying to decentralize it, but the problem, the real problem that you actually have is you built into your system, such a way of people using it that there's no way you could do that to them.
1: Yeah. How do you like, back that out and make it go slower? Right.
0: Right. Like, like how do you, yeah. you know, like, if you think about the trilemma, you know, like, oh, now we're going to move towards the decentralization thing. Well, all your users are expecting it at this speed at this cost. And You're so. you never the, yeah, there, there's no way to get out of it. So you're just stuck and it's sort of true. But you know, you made billions of dollars, so you're cool with it. Um, but you know, like, like in some sense, like, you know, you, you're never actually going to fulfill what you came to do because yeah, the success almost poisoned it in a lot of ways on your previous product.
1: No, that makes total sense. And it's like your users are never going to drop backwards, right? Unless they have an ethos of decentralization, which for the most part... I don't fault people that use the things that are fast and easy, right? I get it. You're trying to get to market, you've got pressure, you have investors, whatever it is, you, you need to feed your family, whatever it is. I understand making that choice, but there are a core set of developers, especially right now, that I think are trying to make better choices and that positions you guys well, especially in a bear market. I think right. that's the people who hang out, right? Are the ones who Actually, really care about the whole thing being decentralized, you know? And it's very similar to Infura now saying that they're going to go decentralized. I bitch about them all the time, but I applaud them for at least saying they're taking that step. But I think the same thing applies. It's like, how do you take your users into an entire different operation model of operation from a decentralized model to the centralized model where I can just click it and plug and play? And I think it's difficult to do. So, yeah, you know, I applaud you guys for sticking
0: with it and doing the slow grow thing. Yeah. No, I don't think you know, like the same with like Infura, like, you know, I don't think we ha- I don't think the space necessarily has any brand loyalty towards Infura. You no. know, it's not like we're gonna do that. Like Yeah. We'll, we'll go to a different centralized person if we're fine doing that. Like yeah. it doesn't matter.
1: Well, and then look, I've I seen, I don't know, three in the last three months people building decentralized RPC node networks. Right. So I'm excited to see it happening and they need the competition and we need decentralized. So it's, that's all good. So go ahead. What were you gonna say something?
0: No, I mean, we recently were, you know, running our own nodes now from, for the time nice. and that's always good. Um, that's awesome. Which is yeah, something we used to do and now, and then we got out of it and then we hop back in.
1: <laughs> how, how has the, this whole model of the people who dispute and the people who are reporting. I mean, how has that grown? Is this something where you feel like it's kind of like a vital, not vital, it is vital, vibrant, like, has that become a community, those people that are doing this? Or are these all people that are just kind of nameless, faceless, and they're just participating in the
0: mechanism and the utility of the network? It's been super interesting to see over the years, you know, because we've had all these stages of teller and the community, it sort of changes over time, like especially you see it with the reporters or the disputers and A, the disputers tend to be the competing reporters.
1: <laughs> oh, like, really interesting. Know,
0: like they, they're all getting each other. That's hilarious. So. That's very funny. But you know, I, early in on, my yeah.
1: head, it was separate, right? It was in my head, it was just, I'm a disputer. This is what I do all day and I'm just disputing
0: data coming oh, in. But it, it makes
1: sense that it's the other reporters, yeah.
0: Yeah, and then but, you know, like we started early on, like, it was like, I, I had written a CPU client and that's what people were running when it was proof of work. We had like a Russian community then. Wow. It was like a, a lot of Russians. And then we built like a GPU client and then it quickly, like, then we had some Americans come in and then it turned into very quickly, like by December of 2019, like FPGAs were written for Teller. Wow. Like you, you would go to, you could go to China and buy a Teller FPGA for 10 weeks. Wow. Bucks. Wow. That's astounding. Uh, we're buying these things and and then it was like within a month later it was like fpga pools so there was there were these like rocket pool and a few of these fpga pools and that that, those were like all the reporters it was these giant fpga pools competing with each other who were over in china and that was like since that happened after like four months after we launched or something we're like man we need to drop this proof of work thing Um, (laughs) like it was that's crazy wow yeah. and so i mean that's
1: kind of like an unintended i mean i don't know that you had that expectation that this was going to blow up like that right but that's what well, no, well, not... everyone
0: says like you know like oh whenever you know like well eventually if you start for proof of work coin like eventually they can build asics for it or eventually they can build fpgas and build it optimized gpu miners and you're like that'll take years <laughs> <laughs> four months yeah it's like four months it's like nothing but fpga farms and you're like oh man this is wow <laughs> But that's
1: actually, I think part of that is though, what's cool about it is you validated the economics of your model, right? Like, I mean, when people are investing that kind of stuff into hardware, that's like, oh, wait, shit, we're doing the right thing here, right? Uh, I mean, maybe you had to get rid of proof of work, but at least you knew that the incentives were aligning and working.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, like th- that was cool. And then whenever you got rid of that and it, it turned into more of a staking, then you had some of the initial community was, was good. And then some people were doing pools, but now actually we have a lot of the MEV crowd, like now uh, people, you know, like whenever somebody tips, who's the person that gets a tip? Well, obviously you built MEV bots to compete with each other. <laughs> so, God. Uh, Somebody's know. always
1: going to try to game it
0: yeah and they're just gaming it and it's cool to see but you know for the past like six months we've had a pretty stable solid community of people who have built it but they talk to each other are they faceless nameless they'll talk on discord because what happens a lot of times so almost i don't know if we've really we really don't ever have any disputes that are malicious Uh, you know you usually what happens is it's like somebody's miner goes rogue and like submits like a bitcoin price of zero okay
1: Um, Okay, and then
0: and a lot of times they'll dispute themselves. Real, oh, interesting. Yeah, because they don't want to lose
1: all their stake.
0: Yeah, but then then sometimes like one miner will dispute another miner, and like everybody knows whose address is who, so we'll we'll like set up like a little date and be like, "Can you pass him his money back? Like you guys have both been here. You guys have both been here for two years. Go play civil, like and then
1: that's fascinating, man. That's really cool. That kind of this human element, because in my head I'm thinking. You know, it's all automated. These guys are just banging back and forth and, and nobody's interacting, but it's actually pretty cool. It's got that level of human interaction that's happening
0: too. Yeah. Even though they're not docs, you know, like we, we know the right. discord handles, but you know, and their addresses, but you know, like you just, you're sort of playing with the people for a long time. So have you've definitely seen it and it's super cool to see that, that, you know, it, it Even though sometimes it is just about profit. Like sometimes the guys will say no. (laughs) Yeah. They'll just keep the money anyway. Or keep the money and run away. But yeah, every once in a while they'll, they'll be nice to each other. And it's always cool to see.
1: That's really fascinating. I never, I always just pictured it as this thing happening and functioning and everything's automated and you know, but that's fascinating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. And, And then as far as like disputers and voters go, you know, it's Most of the time they'll, you know, they play ball with kind of where the team wants to go and runs on board because you just want to make it sort of, sort of a good system for people to use. You know, you don't want to do anything to sort of harm the view because then you sort of get rid of the cash cow that's paying you. Of course. Yeah,
1: (laughs) that's amazing. So what, well, okay, so we were up to like 2020, getting closer to 2021. What where are you guys i mean what's been the most difficult things of building this thing besides you know surviving and then where are th- what are you guys working on now and where are you heading with the platform i mean what do you build on to
0: or add to this thing or is it just constant improvement of what's there for where you're headed yeah so the biggest thing that we're doing actually this month and it'll be done at the end of the or at the end of october is we're removing so we, we did have upgradability in our contracts so you could upgrade them and that was through the a vote of the token holders, right. to do that. We don't like that anymore. We're sort of getting rid of that. Basically, it's just it, it's a contract risk that we don't want anymore. Yeah, it's
1: an attack vector. Um, just talk to the guys at Beanstalk Farms.
0: Yeah, no, well, they, I mean Beanstalk was another one. You know, we were they were going to be a user of Teller, and then, uh, and then that, that happened, and then, you know, so yeah, like a lot of that kind of stuff. So that's the big thing that we're doing, and then other than that, we're, we're just kind of going to other chains. So, we spend a lot of time, you know, we're talking to different chains. So, we're going over to Optimism. Nice. And, oh,
1: what are you on know, right now?
0: Arbitrum, Polygon. That's and then, yeah, main nets, all the test nets. We built a proof, of, we built something over on Algorand as well. So, they give us a grant and we built over there. But that nice. Th- those ones take a lot longer because it's not not EVM based. So right. Oh, yeah. Easy. So, you're rewriting everything from scratch. Wow. You got to rewrite them in a different language. And they Is give it us a Python?
1: Grant, so. Is it Python on Algorand?
0: No. PyTeal. So it's like a Python derivative. Okay. Yeah. But Algorand's weird. So, like Algorand, you can have, and they'll probably yell at me because I'm getting it wrong, but you can have only like 12 variables in your contract. Oh, really? There's like a wow. oh, super limited storage in these smart contracts oh that's so, fascinating and, and you just have to have like multiple different contracts to have more storage interacting and, together yeah yeah and so you just have to really rethink how you have your whole smart contract structured so it makes it tough yeah
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah it's the as an aside i kind of I, I kind of bust on algorand on a regular basis because i think about something that has you know, this derivative language to Python with some of the largest pools of developers in the world, and they just haven't been able to get traction. And in terms of, you know, mass users, mass developers using the platform, because the promise of the tech over there is absolutely amazing, at least from everything I've read and watched about it. And I'm not a developer, so I haven't climbed into depths of the tech. But Everything I understand about it is it's this incredible platform, but I've always found it frustrating that they haven't been able to recruit more developers onto the chain with the fact that it's, you know, got this Python derivative language. Anyway,
0: I'm just kind of rambling. I mean, to me, it's really EVM chains have almost completely won. Yeah, I think it's, it's, I think we're done. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. It's going to be so hard to beat them at this point. Just because it's, you know, like if it's one of these things, like how long it took us, you know three four months to build a proof of concept over on Algorand, and you know whereas whereas you know like going over on optimism like the longest piece is getting the tokens bridged over (laughs) yeah you know like it's like we we can just deploy our normal contracts it's just done yeah Uh, so you know there's no rewriting anything and and it's super easy so it's hard to overcome that mode yeah yeah. So that that's why, and you know, it, it's been super cool. So like, since we've started going on other chains and people have, have seen that we, we get really good insight as far as like where people want, because like a lot of projects will come approach us and they're like, Oh, are you on this chain? Can you come to this chain and stuff like that? Oh, nice. so we, we, we get good insight as far as like where developers are going and where they want to, where they want to sort of build. And it's really cool.
1: Yeah. You got a barometer on which chains are growing and which ones are failing. And yeah, that's For sure. interesting. 100% yeah,
0: yeah. Right. like you know like you you saw yeah tons of people like whether it's you know the, when we were friends with Polygon early on because they were actually they were Binance Labs company as well or right. a finance company so they right uh, we were like we got a Binance grant or not a finance a, a Polygon grant back when they were mad at we got one of their first round of grants nice it was like ten thousand dollars and they told us to go deploy on their chain and you know, like we we went and it took us like months to go deploy on their chain, and it was just because they had no Block Explorer at the time, and it was super. Like, if you wanted anything verified, you like emailed Sandeep, and it was. Oh <laughs> wow! Really? Uh, oh my god! And, and then so it's been super cool. Like now they have their act together, and they're really good. And they're like they e, They're easily the number two chain. Oh. After Ethereum. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean.
1: I'm so impressed with the business development team over there, along with the tech team that's delivering. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing that that project. I just every day I'm talking about something else that Polygon has done, some other deals, some other new launch, you know, ZKEVM and all of that.
0: It's just really impressive, really impressive. Well, I mean, we had, for instance, for this hackathon, we had like 50 projects submit on us and nine out of 10 were over on Polygon too. Really? Nice. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's good. And this was an ETH hackathon, so it's crazy. That's crazy, anyway. man. Momentum.
1: Okay. So what else do we need to know about Teller? Where you guys are going? Anything else you wanna know? How many people on the team right now?
0: There's 10 of us on the team, so. Cool. And, and name they,
1: your name your co-founders for me so we can get the uh, in. Brenda and Mike. Okay, um, so I met Brenda, but cool. I haven't met Mike, so that's great. Okay, and how many people, 10?
0: 10, including the co-founders, so. Yeah.
1: Nice. And so next stage is kind of, you're gonna hit that radical decentralization stage where nothing can be upgraded, right? It's just there.
0: Yeah, it's just there. We want to just work on, we're just going to keep continuing to educate and trying to get users, you know, that's been nice. the, the hard part for a long time. And, you know, we're just going to keep going at it. And I think, yeah. And do I you think guys have, cool. I,
1: do you guys have ideas for other products you want to build that make use of Teller or, you know, trying to do some of the things you haven't had
0: time to do in the past or anything like that? We got tons of ideas, but we're hoping <laughs> to help other people do it. That's cool. You know, It's it, yeah retail focused products are tough Yeah, the whole team. So it's not really our thing. You know, like the biggest piece is, we just want to keep educating people on like, this is how to use oracles in a decentralized way. This is why you should care about decentralized oracles. Yeah. Uh, and the more that we can do that, you know, just the better this whole space will be.
1: That's great. And what, and for developers that are interested in learning more about Teller, just visit the website Are is there specific resources they should be looking at if they've you know, or just approaching the Oracle's for the first time, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, Teller.io has a lot of stuff. We have a blog there; you can look. There's we have a few best practices articles. Nice. Uh, come read those on Oracle's, or just come talk to us in the Discord. We're happy to chat. It's a friendly-ish community.
1: Very nice. Very nice. Well, um, all right. So I ask everybody that comes on the show one question: Which projects or people in the space do you have an utmost regard for? or that you think are critically important to moving DeFi ahead with kind of the ethos that, that you approach it, or a project that you just have a great deal of admiration or person and that you think are
0: just doing amazing things. Oh man, yeah, this one's tough. <laughs> There's so many people in the space that are just awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. Was-
1: That's why I asked this question because I love these answers and I get to learn about,
0: sometimes new people or
1: things about people I already knew about, it's, it's cool.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, obviously like the tornado cash guys and people doing stuff around that are hugely important right now. Yeah. You know, everyone, you know, like the coin center guys, they're here in DC. They're, they're doing great work on, they're amazing. I'm constantly the,
1: shilling those guys.
0: Yeah. On the regulatory front, as far as like more personal people that I know, you can look uh TJ rush. He's another great one. He runs true blocks. Nice. He's, he's the run your own node guy. So he also awesome. run their own nodes all the time.
1: <laughs> That's he's great. He's great.
0: Yeah, so he's definitely super important in the space. And he's been a, a great influence. You know, the people at yearn, they, they've been doing a great job for a long time. So we're, yeah. we're friends with some of them. But
1: every project that I have a ton of respect for from an ethos perspective seems to be friends with the urine guys. It's like every project I well, talk to that I'm like, wow, these guys are really cool. They're doing exactly the kinds of things we want to see people doing. Everyone goes back to the urine guys. It's amazing
0: yeah no we saw some of the early urine guys were like early teller report miners and reporters and nice it was cool that, you know and then they went on to do urine so this was pre urine. Um, oh wow that's amazing that's <laughs> then, cool yeah and then we had who else man i just i was, I was gonna say somebody else. oh the raid guild guys they're super cool i don't know if you've nice. no raid guild no i um, don't know they're them. like they're a dow but then you hire them to come build stuff on your project
1: oh really um, that's a cool so, concept. Yeah, super
0: cool concept. And they're like very into it. Cool. So they, they work with the like Meta, Meta cartel and like a mean and all those guys, yeah, and, I'm going to check that out. So, yeah. But if you want like, oh, we want something done on our website, like go hire a DAO to build it. Probably. Yeah, of course. That's and, great. You know, we've used them for some contracting work just because it's, you know, support in the space and they do a great job. So
1: oh, that's a great list, man. Thank you. That's excellent. All right. Anything else anybody needs to know? Did we cover it all?
0: I think we covered it all. Yeah, no, definitely follow up with Teller. Come find out. You or anybody you know needs a project or needs an Oracle or just wants to talk about it. Even happy to talk about ways to make other Oracles better. So
1: Nice. I love it, man. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining me.
0: Yeah, thanks.